0: Welcome, everyone, to our NCAA Social Series. I'm Andy Katz, and I'm pleased to be joined by three esteemed guests this week. We've got Stan Johnson. He is the Executive Director at the Minority Opportunities Athletic Association. He's in Kansas City as we speak. Sheridan Blandford. she is from D-I-E-C-E, which we'll get to momentarily, the Associate ADID. A-D-I-D the University of Washington. We're going to get to all these acronyms here and sort of unpack them. Uh, And Kenny Donaldson from UCLA is the Associate Athletic Director, Director of Equity and Diversity and Inclusion at UCLA. So in the last year and a half, um, obviously, uh, the topic of inclusion uh, has been out in the mainstream. Should have been there for decades, uh, but obviously, There's been a lot of conversation in 2020 into 2021 and obviously going further. We hope this will continue. Uh, Being able to just talk about issues that are out there in addition obviously to increasing, what I always love to say is you need people at the table that look like you. Uh, It can't just be a corporate table, an athletic department table where everyone looks the same because that's not representative of your institution Uh, and I think we're starting to see more of that and that's why I want to get into this conversation and so Stan I want to start with you um, because our topic here is athletics diversity and inclusion uh, designee Uh, that is the ADID that uh, we will get into here so first Stan what does an athletics diversity inclusion designee do
1: what do they do? They do a lot of things. <laughs> They've been given a lot of responsibility, but you know, that designee is really a person that uh, the NCA has designated to be a conduit really for information, the flow of information, to develop programs, to assist and enhance opportunities uh, around diversity and inclusion in the athletics department. So they, they have a number of uh, responsibilities and, and uh, it depends on the institution uh, at what level they are. But the NCAA you know, looked at the opportunities, looked at what was going on uh, over social media and, and, and all of the things that were happening uh, last year and said, we, need to, we have need to have a designee, a person that is responsible in each athletics department for uh, the, the mo- moving this needle around diversity and inclusion.
0: So to my original point, and um, Sheridan and Kenny, I want you to jump in here, is uh, that if you've got an issue, if something is bothering you on campus X, whatever, there needs to be someone that you can actually go and speak to who may be able to relate to, not exclusively, but at least someone who might understand. Uh, How much do you see that as the role, certainly now and going forward, Sheridan?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I think obviously representation at all levels is incredibly important. And I think having that at all, again, at all points of the athletic department or in any organization um, is essential. So that student athletes, but staff alike can also find and create community, you know, engage with each other to really talk about some of those issues that they might be facing. And I think while the ADID is um, positioned to be, um, in a a leadership position to really figure out what does it mean to gain feedback. I think it's as equally important to have some people that you can uh, share challenges with, but even more, important to have people that are positioned to do something about those challenges. So I think that that's where the ADID comes in because they're positioned in the leadership level, they're structured, hopefully, to be able to have access to athletic directors, senior leaders, to really then address the problem. Because on one end, I can talk to you about all the problems that I might have, but then we actually have to do something about it. So there's a lot of different facets that go into that, but I think that that's um, what the ADIDs are set up to, um, to do.
3: Kenny? Yeah, definitely, I agree with Sheridan and uh, to your point, Andy, earlier, um, this is something that should have been happening hopefully in athletic departments for years. And now that we're here, you know, I'm definitely glad, but um, what I think our role for the ADID also is to be proactive. So it's not just when a situation arises, how do you respond to it? But how are we looking at the landscape of EDI across the country, both in athletics and outside of athletics so that we know that we can be both responsive and proactive to support our student athletes, our staff, and our coaches in the best way possible regarding EDI. You
0: know, Stan, I'm gonna go back. Uh, I'm gonna date myself because I was in college in the late eighties. Um, and, you know, I went to the University of Wisconsin um, and, you know, there was a stereotype that the, the only people of color on campus at the time were perceived athletes. And so they got stigmatized and that was their group. Uh, and it didn't always feel like within the athletic department, that there was a connection, someone that they could reach out to, almost like a therapist, if you will, if you needed something before you actually might need a professional therapist, you know, something or a counselor for maybe lack of a better term. What have you seen in terms of the growth or, or the need of this over the last thirty years?
1: Well, yeah, you because know, I date myself, I've been in this for over thirty years <laughs> in this process. Uh, you know, one of the things I think that is important to talk about. Is that while this role has been put there, and and yeah, we the role in to to have this conduit and this information being able to flow and to develop programs and do all these things, one of the things we have to be careful about is to not uh, make it so that it becomes just Kenny or Sheridan's responsibility. The responsibility for diversity inclusion still relies that lies with each individual on the campus. Uh, because what we tend to do is say, okay, that's now that person's responsibility, so I don't have to do this anymore, and that's not what this is about. What we're trying to do is to be able to provide avenues and opportunities and resources for people who are looking for just what you're talking about that was not there before, because I was left alone. I was no place to go, no place to answer, but their role is not to just be uh, the end all for diversity inclusion. That's still the the athletics director's responsibility, the president's responsibility, each coach's responsibility, the staff, the students, it's everybody's responsibility. How do we create this climate uh, and change the culture to be one that is more welcoming, where an individual such as yourself in the 80s or individuals like myself who was there before the 80s uh, (laughs) could come into a campus and feel like, I am welcome, I am there, I've been, I'm been. i being included. So I think when we talk about over the long-term and over this 30 years that uh, I've been around this process, uh, it has improved somewhat because pe- people are aware, but I think it became more apparent uh, around a specific area uh, and that is around race. We've been dealing with a lot of diversity issues and diversity includes a lot of things, but and particularly around race, it became more apparent over the past two years uh, with all of the things, with George Floyd's uh, death and all of the things that have happened, uh, people have realized that if I want to really have an inclusive uh, department, an inclusive university, one of the things I have to do is I have to work at it. And and I need people in place at Sheridan and Kenny said, at a leadership position and a role, And I need to put resources in there that will help individuals be
0: able to be successful. So I'm going to throw this at at Sharon and Kenny and and not say that this is part of your uh, job, but I'm just curious. I mean, you're both at Pac-12 schools in LA and Seattle. Um, And look, traditionally, there have been certain segments around the universities, whether it's booster groups and things like that, that have lacked diversity. And so if you're looking at, all the aspects of a student athlete and different ways in which they interact, especially now with NIL, okay, they're going to be out even more so in the community. And how imperative it is to be involved to different parts of that community, not just a certain segment that might have been there. You, know, you don't want to ignore them, you don't want to dismiss them because they've been supportive for years, but at the same time, maybe extend to other parts of that greater community where that institution is. And obviously I know it depends around the country, but how much do you think that can also be a part of not just your job, but also your ability to influence the athletic director, the president say, hey, you know what, maybe we should take these, this group of student athletes to this part of town, interact with this group of people um, to to broaden you know, everyone and, and being more inclusive within our community, Sheridan?
2: Yeah, so just to piggyback a little bit off of what Stan was saying is it always makes me kind of giggle when people say, Sheridan, where do you see this job in 20, 30, 40 years? And I always respond, I would like this job not to exist. And the reason is, is because there is a very specific DEI lane in which, you know, everyone, athletic departments, particularly larger athletic departments have very specific lanes where people focus on. They have very specific populations, demographics, programs, et cetera that they focus on. And a lot of people are kind of thinking, well, DEI is kind of similar. So there's your, you know, external engagement, there's the programs that you're talking about, there's your affinity groups that those would kind of fit into a DEI lane. But I say that that is like super small piece of the pie. Because when I go back to say, I don't want my role to exist, it's because everyone else is integrating this work into what they do. So yes, there are a lot of opportunities and things that this last year has exposed that athletic departments, organizations, quite literally, the world has not put effort and emphasis in. So I think to your point, there's a lot of things that, you know, I've talked to Kenny at length about the great things that we're expanding because there are so many communities, stakeholders, people, you know, um, specific demographic groups that we haven't put intentionality into connect with and connect our students with, whether they are a part of that community and or whether they're a part of a majority that has never been, you know, been interacting with that community, but it's so much, you know, there, there are those, again, those DEI lane specific things, but it's so much more to integrate this work into a student athlete development program. If there's a community engagement program, how that that's already created, why reinvent the wheel? How about we expand upon that to make sure that it is being more, um, putting more of an emphasis and effort into outreaching to communities and people that we've never connected connected with. So rather than in some cases reinventing the wheel, just creating opportunities to expand on what we're doing in those, in those lanes, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah, and definitely just to echo what Stan and Sheridan are saying, you know, living in LA, Andy, as you know at UCLA, we're around a very diverse community. Our our athletic department is diverse in, in what our athletic director and myself and our coaches, what we've tried to stress is we can't go out into the community until we've had those conversations internally about what a holistic student athlete experience is. So it's not just what you're doing on the court, what you're doing on the field, but it's as your identity, whether you identify as you know, LGBTQI plus, your religion, your those, those different uh positionalities that you see yourself in having those conversations on your team. So you get to know people that may not be like you, that may be from a different background. So we're not going into the community and looking at us as the saviors of people that need to rescue folks in the community. We're looking at it as a collaborative piece. So whether that's you know a, a Latinx community or whether that's a LGBT community or, or a black community or whatever it may be, we wanna make sure that we're having the conversations first with our student athletes so that we get to know who we are before we're stepping in these communities and possibly causing more harm or possibly you know, having a, a bad reputation with them. So I think, and Sheridan and I have talked about this at length, it's important for an athletic department and Stan touched on this to have a foundation of EDI within itself and to have those conversations before you start getting out into the community, but again, building on where this role and and, uh, my role, where I see it existing is creating the space to have what may be sometimes uncomfortable or difficult conversations so that we get to know each other as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is having those uh, uncomfortable conversations that I think went on quite a bit during the pandemic. And one thing that I had a lot of coaches telling me over the last year and a half, and we can go around the horn here, maybe start with Sheridan this time, um, is that for years, a lot of coaches, told me that they would hear what a player was saying, but they really weren't listening. And now they're listening because the student athlete has been empowered like maybe not since the sixties or maybe maybe not ever. Uh, and they are being encouraged to speak their mind of what bothers them uh, to be engaged in the community. I mean, obviously the, the get out the vote effort was unprecedented this last year. Uh, on, on campuses. but I really thought there was a real distinction here. and I think that's obviously incri- you know, critical in, in, in journalism that, that you can hear a, you know an answer, but you got to really listen to what they're saying. not just hear it, listen. Uh, Sheridan, how much did you hear that and listen to what your student athletes were saying in their interaction with their coaches, uh, especially on this platform during the pandemic?
2: It's a great question. Um, I think that people were forced, as you're saying, Andy, to listen in a way that they never thought about or had to. Um, I think with all of the kind of hypersensitivity and hyper awareness to everything that was going on, there was almost no excuse to not listen and to keep, you know, really focus on the things, focus on the sport or focus on the management of the athletic department or things like that. Everyone was kind of forced to sit down, take inventory, and listen. And one of my favorite quotes is, listen to understand not to be understood. And a lot of times when coaches and or leaders, and I'll speak for myself, I do it often, I'll be listening to respond, rather than listening to really understand what someone's saying and taking it in and understanding how that might impact my relationship with with them or how I can lead better. And I think it really forced our coaches to think about how they listen to their student athletes and how they connect with their student athletes past just some of those, we're not going to necessarily say surface level, but more surface level type of interaction. So I mean, it happened a lot. Like I said, I think it was uh, under the most unfortunate circumstances, people had to. And I think that's why we are where we are today. I don't think if there would have been a pandemic, there would have been, I mean, Black and brown folks have been being killed at the hands of police since the tell of time. And it's never, from a world's perspective, reached this amount of awareness. So there was a Again, it was—it was a. You have to sit down. You have to take inventory, and not only understand the larger issues, but then how does this boil down to pertain to the environments that you're a part of?
3: Yeah, uh, definitely, And So at, at UCLA, you know, uh, the tradition uh, champions made here is one of our models, and what. Uh, Dan Guerrero, our previous athletic director, and Martin Jarman, our new athletic director, have done a tremendous job is to say, if we're building champions, we're not just building champions winning sports. We're building champions on and off the field or the court, whatever that may be. So you look at our history of of Arthur Ashe and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and, you know, Ann Myers-Drysdale and those that have been at the forefront of social justice movements, you know, we've asked our coaches to think about what the history of UCLA is and how that activism is tied into uh, athletic success and how they're able to to capture that. So um, I think the the intersection we see of with Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka and others who the mental health piece along with looking specifically at uh, BIPOC and specifically black women and student athletes of color, how that interacts with how they may perform but overall how they're feeling what's happening socially that may be affecting them either on the field, on the court, or as they're thinking about things. I think that that's really got our uh, our coaches and our staff to really tap into. Our student athletes are really, really tied into what's going on socially, and it affects every aspect of what they're doing. So it's important for us as staff, and it's important for our coaches to be tied into that as well. And our athletic director has been driving that and really pushing
1: that message forward. I guess if I would add into this, you know, athletics has always been at this forefront of uh, social change. We've been we're visible on a college campus. And so we have an opportunity in athletics right now to 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 be leaders again in this process, to be able to step out and say, "Hey, how do we make sure that we are inclusive for a lot of our smaller institutions?" Yeah, the athletics department is probably the most diverse place on, on campus uh, because of all of the bringing together of not only race, gender, age, sexual orientation, uh, international, generational dynamics, all of the things that go into diversity. We have an opportunity to be able to, 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 to lead again, as we've done often. And, and you know, we're so visible. <laughs> you know as I, i'd like to say this every evening when you watch the news what do you see you see international news you see local news you see something about business you'll see the weather and then you see sports <laughs> and that's every evening you watch the news so we're out there and we can be leaders in this area uh, of making ensure that people understand that we understand diversity on the field and on the courts we also understand it off the fields and off the court. And and that's what I think the role of this person is to help people understand that we're there. And how do you as an individual in, at your institution or a student athlete even, how do you make sure that there's an inclusive environment around you and for your teams and like both off and
0: on the, the playing surfaces again. tan I want to just go back to your original point with the national office. How can mm-hmm. Indianapolis you know, sort of help Coordinate, uh, empower. How, how can the NCAA help all the institutions at all levels? Well, you know, the, the NCAA people people often
1: misunderstand the NCAA. National. Often, <laughs> yeah,
0: often. <laughs> often you no, know we need we need. Remember, we're you and I are old enough for it's just a bill. Remember the little bill going to Congress? Yeah, of things, membership of how legislation gets done because yeah. everyone thinks you know, that uh, it's just someone in, in Indianapolis just does, the, deciding all this rather than all the schools.
1: Yeah, that's that that, that becomes the, the challenge. What they do is provide resources. They provide opportunities. They provide uh, uh, the conduit, again, for uh, uh, information to flow. Those things, it's up to the institution. It takes leadership from the top. It starts with leadership from the top at each institution. Because what works in California may not work in the middle of the country. And so you cannot lump everybody into one category and say that uh, LGBTQ issues in California are gonna be totally different than LGBT issues at at an institution in the Midwest or or a religious institution or wherever we are. There's gonna be this difference. So it's up to each institution. All the national office can do is help uh, with the language and, and the promotion of that this is a part of who we are it's a part of our mission It's what we should be doing and college presidents it really starts with them uh saying that this is where uh we need to be uh and then with an athletics director and the departments and the institutions and, and everybody in the institution so i think the nca is doing a, a good job of, of of putting these things out there when they made this designation now i was not one at the beginning 30 years ago to fight this i kind of fought this designation i can tell you that because i um it, it was just the designation and we were being and i heard this word uh, on a uh, on another zoom that i was on in a process is that we were being transactional in the process and what i've heard the, the dni people say to me now is that we have to go from being transactional to being transformation. <laughs> we have to change from just the words to putting things into practice and moving the needle. So I think that's what the NCAA can do. It is really, this comes down to each institution doing the work. Um, now the national office has to do what it has to do in the national office. But I think those are each institution, each organization, each team has to do this work uh, themselves.
0: Well, I mean, it's it's uh, I mean, it's foolish if your athletic department doesn't reflect in some small way your student athlete population. Uh, right. It just never made sense to me, but of course it happened. Um, I, I, I want to add one thing. When you say that, when
1: you say that, I want to make sure we understand. I'm just not bringing somebody in that looks like me, or looks like student athletes, to be there to to take care of them. It's not just their responsibility. We did that for a long time in athletics. That person was responsible for recruiting and taking care of these students, that these black students that we brought into here. No, it's everybody's responsibility. Yes,
0: Yes. coaches do that all the time. He's the recruiter, (laughs) she's the recruiter. We'll never see them on the court. Send them on the road, go do home visits. Yeah, that that, that ship has sailed. Uh, I want to talk leadership. Sheridan, you uh, co-founded D-I-E-C-E diversity, inclusion, equity, help me on in the, uh,
2: Council of Excellence.
0: Council of Excellence. Your
2: mouthful, man. (laughs) Yes. A
0: lot of acronyms here. Um, it's a network of diversity, equity, inclusion, right? Professionals to drive intentional growth toward increased diversity and inclusive excellence within college athletics. Did I get that right? I think
2: so. It sounded right.
0: <laughs> so with that being said, yes. tell me how it's going and where it's going.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So just very proud to be on this call and representing DICE. I can say, Andy, actually, um, how it started, um, I had the opportunity to be one of the first, one of the few first kind of folks who was doing DEI full-time with a full-time position at the University of Wisconsin. So um, it was at that point... Yeah. Well, here we go. Um, A couple years ago. So at that point, and still, there's no blueprint of how to do this work in college athletics because college athletics is its own animal. We can take best practices from corporate, from higher education, from nonprofit, et cetera. But then we got to combine it with like, what is college athletics? And then it's continuously changing as we take a step into every single day. That said, um, there was no blueprint. So a lot of folks and still are building the plane as we're flying it. And there was not a network. I remember talking to Stan. We were at, um, we were at the, or the Learfield Minority Academy. And I was like, Stan, like, where are all the people? Where's the network? Who can I talk to? Who can I connect with? And at that point, there wasn't like a central place where people were. So I was like, well, let me talk to one of my colleagues who was at Nebraska, is now at CU, Dewan Baker. I'm like, well, what if we just create a space to connect with people that are doing this work? And it started very much as that we'd get together monthly, we'd connect, we'd share best practices, we would talk about the things that we were um, experiencing, because this work, again, it has its lane, but it infiltrates everything, like we deal with student athletes, staff, coaches, administrators, donors, sponsors, alumni, everybody, so there's so much to it and it's nuanced. So we started and just kind of started having conversations, built this network, and eventually went public with it. Now we are in a place um, in connecting with a lot of the ADIDs around the country. As we found out that designee was kind of floating to be voted on, it was like, well, we got to come out and hopefully create this resource for people. So one, that they feel supported, two, that they feel connected, and three, that they can come to a place and say, hey, I'm going through XYZ. Have you done this? Or, hey, I'm looking for this type of education. Have you done this? Um, and Kenny is a proud member of DICE as well. So it's growing now that um, the ADID, after the NCAA inclusion forum, we had the opportunity to present um, to all the ADIDs and we're just growing really to just create support and connection for people. But then as we're building this building this plane, um, we all have an expertise. We all have a super, super unique experience, a super unique lens. So we wanna use our positionality and what we've learned to help organizations, i.e. like a N4A an or Anacma NACMA or things of that nature when we're talking about all these specific lanes, what they can do within their areas to be more thoughtful about this work. So very person-centric. We're just trying to make sure people feel supported and connected, but then also utilizing our expertise to, to help other organizations and industries do this work intentionally and sustainably.
0: So Kenny, I'm not naive. I've done this a long time. I know how coaches recruit. Uh, Their focus, they may say it's about academics and so on, campus life. It's obviously always about the team and the sport, number one. I get that. But how do you get them, if it's not already happening, how do we ensure that it starts to happen? That what we're discussing here is a part of the recruitment that you say, hey, if you come to my school, here's what services I have for you, here's the type of things that I can do for you in terms of, so you feel welcomed here, regardless of where you fall on the spectrum of race, gender, I- sexual identity, doesn't matter. You will feel comfortable here because this is what we have for you. How do you get that in the hands of your coaches, regardless of sport, to make sure that the recruit knows that that's available?
3: I think one of the things when we talk about DEI or EDI, you know, however you, you arrange the acronyms, a big piece that now is developing is this idea of belonging. So how are we developing belonging so that to your point, recruits that are coming in are knowing not only are they being recruited for their athletic talent, but there's a sense of belonging that no matter what their identity is, they're going to feel welcome and they're going to feel engaged with and they're going to feel like they have resources that will, will support them. So what we've done at UCLA and what we'll be you know, issuing something soon is that We're tapping into our campus partners, and we have a faculty member, Dr. Tyrone Howard, who's now serving as our liaison to the AD for equity and social justice. And what that conversation is about is how are we presenting our uh, athletic teams to our recruits? How are we recruiting? And again, we don't want to make coaches do something that's not genuine because we all know that, especially when you're at a high school age, you can tell what's genuine and what's not genuine. And what we've come to the point of, or the conversation is, if we continue to have conversations internally within our department of how we're building this culture, coaches are able to go out and speak about that. Now, again, you know, Stan mentioned that UCLA is not a school in the Midwest or not a school in the South. There's a lot of different nuances, but what we're trying to have our coaches understand is not just the history here athletically, which is rich, But the history here, like I mentioned earlier, of activism and talking about in different sports, how different athletes have, after their athletic careers or even sometimes during their athletic careers, been at the forefront of this movement. So, again, I think it's having genuine conversations with our coaches and having them speak to what they're comfortable with and not just bringing them to see somebody that looks like them in the department to say, hey, we have someone that identifies like you.
0: But I will tell you this, Kenny, uh, what you don't want to have is you don't want them just to, like, hand a flyer. sort of dismiss. right and i would say that one thing in the post pandemic world hopefully we'll be there soon of using zoom is there's no excuse now so if you are you know lack of a better mick Cronin, mike hopkins whatever i mean these two schools here i mean you could say hey i'm going to set up a zoom with our you know adid representative Mm
2: -hmm.
0: you can ask that person questions um you know we'll have that person we'll have this person on And just, you know, just listen, Uh, just so you hear what is available to you as a recruit. I think that could be the next phase of this, of hitting this next wave of incoming students uh, so they know what's out there. Uh, And obviously, you're going to have to do that with the ones that you have on campus. But uh, because, I, you know, kind of what Sheridan was saying about, you know, staying in your lane, but at the same time, you also don't want to talk about something that you don't fully know about because then you can really do damage to it
2: and that's uh, can I add something to that Andy no, quick too
0: go, no go, go ahead share and then stand
2: yeah yeah so I just wanted to say to that end is you know it's really important like we have these resources which is fantastic it's something that's never existed there's athletic departments putting a lot of energy and effort to this work and this goes back to while representation is important the dynamic of recruit and how aware that they are, as Kenny was talking about, they they are aware of what's going on. They We all went through this year. Their parents are hyper aware of what's going on. While I can get up and talk about all the diversity and inclusion things and say, I got you, we can set you up, you have these resources, they want to hear it from me, but they more importantly want to be able to hear it from their coach. They want to be able to hear it from the people that maybe don't look like them. They want to be able to hear that diversity and inclusion is not only instituted and integrated from the diversity inclusion person, but through everyone else. So it goes back to your point that coaches don't want to be like, there's a coaches don't want to necessarily be speaking to things that they're not comfortable with, or that they're not super knowledgeable about. But that is just yet another point of emphasis that they have to take ownership of this work, because they can talk to me all that they want. But a parent, wants to hear from the coach, this is how you can support. Not, I'm just gonna pass my, my, my son or daughter or my, my child to this person. I wanna make sure that they're supported in their full identity from their coach and the people that are surrounding them. So I would say it's a little bit of both ends there.
1: Yeah, from, from my perspective, it's it, it comes down to a couple of things. One, Sheridan and Kenny are not with those student athletes every day. <laughs> they're, they're with them in some cases, but I, coaches wanna do what? They wanna win. That's what they're they're there to do. So I I come at this from diversity from the standpoint that how does it affect your productivity with your teams? And if they understand that diversity can affect productivity, then they will want to (laughs) learn because it'll help them win. It'll help them be more successful. They can then go out and articulate exactly what that means to them. Uh, a lot of them have never looked at diversity from that standpoint. They think diversity is about the social justice stuff. It goes way deeper than that. Yeah, I mean, it, if you don't have a cohesive locker room, you're not going to win. You're not going to win. <laughs> and so you've got to be able to create that kind of atmosphere where people feel included, people understand, and not treat everybody the same because everybody's not the same. Got mm-hmm. to treat everybody uh, with fairness, but I can't treat everybody the same. So I think the key comes with helping coaches and educating coaches so that they can talk coherently about this subject. Uh, and they've got to have interests in doing that. And if the way I look at it is if I can tell you how and show you how it affects your your students' success both on the field and off the field. If there are two students in a, uh and they don't get along with each other, they can't understand each other, one student may be a math whiz and can't help the it won't help the other one that affects your team's productivity. <laughs> it goes deeper than just looking at this from the standpoint of, uh, of uh, I gotta do this for the social reason. It just makes good businesses.
0: <laughs> it's all about self-preservation. Okay. I mean, if you wanna stay with your job, you better have uh, a group of student athletes that are on board that are not second guessing where you're coming from, where the institution's coming from or something that happened to them on campus, off campus, that's going to affect them you know, certainly uh, during competition in some form. All right, I'll end it here. Going forward, being positive, because we get a lot of people that watch this that are administrators, coaches, uh, presidents, you name it, across the spectrum of all divisions. What, and I'm going to go Stan, Kenny, Sheridan. I want Sheridan to have the last word. Um, What's your parting message of to what this should be going forward, what athletic departments should do? Stan, you're up. One, it, it takes leadership from the top. Uh, the, the
1: athletics director, especially in the athletics department, has to say that this is a priority for us. Uh, and then they have to provide the resources and, and uh, the opportunities and, and put this person at a level within inside the organization that people will, will be able to respond to and know, understand that it is important. If that it doesn't happen, that's the number one thing. If it doesn't happen there, at, from the top, then people will just look at it as another thing we have to do. Uh, if it's important to me, I know that if it's a part of my evaluation, guess what? <laughs> I got, I'm, I'm going to be, make sure that I get this done. If the AD says that this is a part of it, I think that's the critical part there, that leadership, uh, if, if we're going to go from being transactional to transformational, leaders have to be transformational. It can't just be transactional. And I think that's the key uh, for me, the one thing that uh, I would take away from.
3: Yeah, if I could hit on two things, Andy. One is most of us are at institutes of higher learning, institutions of higher learning. There are experts on our campus who we should tap into and integrate with the work that we're doing. It shouldn't just be siloed. So I think athletic departments have a tendency to be siloed. We need to tap into our resources on campus as well. The second thing I think for administrators, the important piece is Listen, listen, listen to your student athletes. I think a lot of times as administrators, we tend to sit in a room with other administrators and talk about what student athletes need. But I think where we've got a lot of our answers is myself, our athletic director, our coaches, our administrators, directly asking our student athletes, how can I support you? What do you need? And be be prepared to have some difficult conversations, but they lead to change. So I think those are two important things.
2: And I'll just finish off because Stan said on the leadership and the resources, Kenny's talking about making sure that we're supporting our students. And I like to say, you can't know where you are going if you don't know where you are with all of this work, it's been hyper-focused. Like We got to do this work. We got to put a lot of energy and effort, but we have to take inventory of what we actually need to do. And Kenny's heard me say this a lot of times. Like I am not interested in, in planting seasonal wildflowers. I want to plant deep-rooted trees that just like continue to grow beyond my time on this earth. And that's what we call systemic change. So in order to do that, you have to really know where you are, and you have to get real with that. People... Want to do the exciting DEI stuff that they can get like external credit for, which is really important, but that's not going to create systemic change. So it's really important that organizations, athletic departments, are really evaluating like where you're at, and then you're creating a plan to change things. Um, so those that that's one of the things that I would add, and. Um, the The most important part that I always emphasize is this work is, it's all self-work. If everyone focuses on themselves, understands their identities, their privilege, what they can do with that privilege, and everyone takes ownership, that's what changes the world. When people do what they have control over and have, and let that bleed into their spheres of influence, that's when things start to change. So I really always encourage, and it's this is the hardest part, because people say, well, I don't know what to do I don't, you know, there's not one silver bullet answer to this, because if there is, I hope someone like shoots it up in the air so we can all like reap the benefits of it. But it's so much about consistency. So building this into what you do every single day to continue to grow, because it's all about self, because if everyone does what they're supposed to do, then the world changes.
0: Wow, great way to end. I got to say this, i been doing this now for a year and a half, and what I love about this show is, and Stan, I think you would echo with me on this, is that there is so much talent out there in these athletic departments. We got two of them right here. Uh, you, of course, Stan, I'm just saying.
2: Next,
0: coming up and Kenny and Sheridan. Um, just so much talent out there. Uh, and so this is such a pleasure to, to do this every week, to talk to people like yourselves that are making change uh, and making good things happen um causing as the late great john lewis would say some good trouble out there uh so um i appreciate all of you Thank be safe you. out there we're going to talk in next week on this program as always you can go to ncaa.org social series where we have all of them archived over the last year and a half thanks for watching
2: everyone